Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. invite your attention to the word of the Lord tonight, to the gospel of St. John, gospel of St. John, chapter number three, I want to read a verse of scripture that the majority of us could probably quote tonight, and then I'll be going to 1 John, chapter number two. Let's begin with uh, St. John chapter number 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to read that first phrase there again. For God so loved. Everybody say, so loved the world that he gave. And then go with me to First um, John chapter number 2. First John chapter number 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doth the will of God abideth forever. The 15th verse says, Love not the world. St. John chapter number 3 tells us that Jesus so loved the world. And I want to speak from this thought tonight. Love the world and love not the world. Love the world and love not the world. Would you lift up your hands with me and let's pray together right now that the Lord would help us tonight. Jesus, I'm asking you for your touch, your anointing, the undergirding of your power, your strength tonight. I pray that you would help us through your word to be blessed, encouraged, and directed into the field of harvest. I pray, God, that you would help us to recognize tonight how much that you desire to use us, God, to reach people. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you for it. Would you give praise to him right now? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. At first, uh, these seem like two competing statements for us to love the world and love not the world. These two portions of Scripture that I have coupled together almost seem like they're in conflict with one another. It is emphasized that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that you and I would not perish, but we would have the opportunity to have everlasting life. And then we read the same apostle writing these words. And I think that's very important for us to note that it was the same Apostle John that writes in 1 John for us to love not the world. And if we did, the love of the Father was not in us. Of course, these two passages of Scripture is not competing or in conflict with one another at all. They're talking about two different entire concepts and ideals two different things altogether. When John wrote, describing Jesus' mission on this earth, 
he wrote that he so loved the world, and describing his love for souls, his love to seek and to save that which was lost, as described that was Jesus' mission. And then in 1 John, he writes, Love not the world, and he's speaking about this world system, this world of sin. And then it goes on in the 16th verse of 1 John chapter 2, and it further explains what the previous verse really means and what we are not to love about this world. Verse 16 says, For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and is not of the Father, but is of the world. And according to the Scripture, it leads us, this type of lust of the flesh and lust of the eye, it leads in one direction, and that is destruction. And so I was praying about this and looking into this and thinking to myself, what Bible character personifies and what is a Bible character that is an example of what I'm speaking of here tonight? And the one that, that comes to mind to me is the Old Testament character of Samson. And I know that most of us know the story in detail of Samson how that Samson uh, was a man that was born into a very godly home. He was a son of parents that live righteously, of parents that knew how to pray. Matter of fact, his mother being barren, it was her prayers that opened her barren womb so that she could even have this miracle son, Samson. And there were some stipulations upon his miraculous birth. And that was that he would live by a Nazarite vow. And you know all the different aspects of that vow. And I need not go into it here tonight because it's not really the point of my message. But suffice it to say that he was raised in this godly environment and recognized from early on that the hand of God was upon his life. Something in him that was able to recognize even as an adolescent, a young man, if you will, that the strength that I have is not natural strength. This is not common. This is not something that is normal. But rather this is something that comes from God. And he understood and knew the connection between the strength that he received and the commitment that was made, first of all by his parents, and then by extension was to be made by him. He was to further live out this consecration, if you will. He understood the connection between that commitment and that consecration and the strength that he possessed. And I, I want to stop right there and say that there's something about apostolic Pentecost that everyone has to acknowledge. There's a certain anointing. There's a certain favor of God. There's a certain power that accompanies it. And people recognize that. They may not know a whole lot about the doctrine. They may not understand everything there is to understand theologically and the positions that the apostolic church holds. They may not have a revelation of the entirety of the truth, but first of all, they're attracted by the power of God, the unction, and the, the recognizable presence of the Lord and the favor of the Lord that rests upon apostolic worship, apostolic church services. Well, in fact, most of you that are in this place can remember the first time that you stumbled into an apostolic church. If you wasn't raised in church, and even if you were, you can remember back to times when God visited you early on in your memory. You can go back to certain times as a child where the Spirit of the Lord 
impacted you. Anybody that's been raised around the church know what I'm talking about. There were certain moments, God moments, that you can look back to and you can say, well, certainly God visited me. And I felt his presence in a profound way. And I have to acknowledge there's something about it. And after a while, you, you begin to learn what is the reason. Maybe at first it's a mystery. Why is there so much power that I feel, an anointing that I feel, which I, I've got to warn you, we must never lose that. Because our drawing card is not our facilities. And I appreciate the facilities that we have. And our drawing card is not educated clergy. And our drawing card is not necessarily our music program, though we, we have good music. And it's not all of the other programs that we have in the church. And I'm thankful for each and every one of them. But the drawing card of the apostolic is the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And how the presence of the Lord comes and the Spirit of the Lord visits. Amen. I wouldn't trade that for anything in denominalism. I wouldn't trade that for anything. I wouldn't trade that for fancier facilities. I wouldn't trade that for uh, more entertaining services. Uh, amen. If you want entertainment, you can go to Broadway. But if you want the power of God, you can come to an apostolic church service. You can walk into the house of God where the presence of the Lord is. And the Holy Ghost is free to move. You know, the Holy Ghost is not free to move everywhere. Because, because people, when there's a real move of the Holy Ghost, even when God begins to visit in some other settings because of the hunger. You know, what we need to recognize as apostolics is that God responds to faith and hunger in the hearts of people. And I believe there's some sincere hungry folks out there, and when they begin to hunger after God, God begins to move and reveal himself in a way that they have never experienced him before. And so often you see as people try to shut that down that are in control because it's unfamiliar to them and it's, it's outside of their sphere of influence and they're afraid of it. I'm going to tell you, you never have to be afraid of a move of the Holy Ghost. You never have to be afraid of the Spirit of God taking over. Some people say, you know, if, uh, if it, gets, it gets too too wild or too out of my control, then I, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't want to, I, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid of that. Well, I'm going to tell you, the Holy Ghost is not into making anybody afraid. Matter of fact, you'll only receive as much as you're hungry for from God. But if you'll allow the Spirit of the Lord, it will lead you and guide you into all truth. Amen. Amen. And it's to guide our lives every day and to keep us from sin and to keep us from temptation and to help us to overcome. Maybe not keep us from temptation, but help us overcome temptation. That's what the Spirit of God can do for us. We follow at the Spirit because we don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the Bible said in the book of Romans. And so, what he's talking about here is the world's system. And, and, and Samson personifies that. He, he's a great example of what I'm talking about. This guy was raised in godly influences. Of course, this was before the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. This is an Old Testament example. But... It moved on him, and in some ways it typifies how the Spirit moves on you and I. Because that supernatural strength would come upon him at certain times when he was confronted with the enemy. At times he was able to pick up something as meager as a jawbone of a donkey and slay the Philistines and bring victory to Israel. At times he was able to... Uh, though he was secured and, and, and bound uh, and it seemed humanly impossible for him to break, through, break free, he was able to do so because of the strength that would come upon him by the Lord moving on him at those times. Matter of fact, he became so familiar with that that once he had told his secret, the secret of his strength to Delilah, 
that he thought when she called and said, the Philistines are upon you. He became so familiar with that. He said, I'll go out as in other times. And I'll feel the same spirit of strength, if you will, come upon me. And I'll be able to deliver myself and Israel along with me. And he wins not that the spirit of the Lord had lifted from him. Amen. I don't want to try to have church, try to have a move of God. And God not be in it. And God not be orchestrating it. Matter of fact, I pray every time we come to this place, Lord, you take control. You direct this thing. Because there's none of us that are smart enough to do it on our own. We all understand that we receive what we need from God by relying upon Him to move. And relying upon Him to work. And relying upon Him to have His way. Oh, can you say praise the Lord? And as I was looking at this and thinking about Samson, how that he was willing to trade all of that strength and power and closeness to God, willing to give up his convictions and his consecration to the Lord, because he thought, he thought that he loved Delilah. And really... He had confused it with a, the reality was is that he lusted after the things of the world. And it's so easy for us to confuse these two things. We say, oh, I love that. I love participating in that. I love doing that. I remember a, a preacher that was preaching uh, for Brother Urshan in Indianapolis and his father was there, which was Andrew Urshan. And Andrew Urshan was an pioneer Pentecost in the U.S. and had came over from Persia and pastored a church in New York and then traveled traveled throughout uh, America and really all over the world and wrote songs and wrote literature and uh, was a powerful man of God. And there was a young man that was preaching for uh, his son, Brother Nathaniel Urshan, and the young man, it was an afternoon when they were going to go out and they were going to play some softball and he came, he dressed out for softball and he had his glove in his hand and uh, he asked him in his broken English, Elder Urshan did, he said, do you, do you uh, like uh, playing softball? And he said, oh, I love playing softball. And he said to him these words, he said, no, 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 no. He said, you don't love softball. You like playing softball. He said, we're only to love one thing, and that is the things of God and the kingdom of God. Everything else, we can, we can be permitted to like it, but we got to love Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. He thought that he loved Delilah. And this lust that was born in his heart. Lust is born of fleshly desires and leads us to sin. And sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. So it has eternal consequences, eternal punishment connected to it. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when sin hath conceived, it bringeth forth, or when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So the finished final product of sin is death. Many times when we think of lust, we think of it only in a sexual uh, immorality type of way of thinking of it or defining it. But the Bible describes it in various forms in this text. It, it talks about lust of the flesh there in verse 16 of the second chapter of 1 John. And lust of the eye. And really the difference between love and lust is commitment. Lust has no commitment really attached to it. We're giving in to our emotions. We're giving in to our feelings. But love, true love, always has commitment attached to it. 
And so if we're going to love God, if we're going to love the truth, it requires a commitment to that. It requires us being committed unto the things of God. The Bible tells us that if any man says that he loves God and is not obedient to his word and doesn't follow his commands, then he's lying. That doesn't mean that he's lying uh, purposely. It doesn't mean necessarily that he understands what he's saying, but he is he doesn't understand that true love requires commitment. It requires consecration on my, my part and your part. People lust after immorality. People, of course, lust uh, after materialism. They lust after power. They lust after money. Uh, that's just a few things in the world that, that people lust after. And according to Scripture, it all leads to destruction. However, the love of God, the Bible said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, that God is love. And the pure love of God is defined to us in Paul's writings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we read a little bit about it here. And it's describing the love of God which we know is charity, the word that is used here, but uh, charity and love can be interchanged. And it says, it suffereth long and is kind. It vaunteth, or it envieth not, it vaunteth not itself. In this world that is always putting self first, this world that is always promoting itself, when we have the pure love of God within us, we're not always concerned about promoting ourselves. It is not puffed up. It's impossible to have the pure love of God and have it coexist with a heart filled with pride. And I always feel like when I'm talking about pride that I have to make some clarifying statements here because a lot of what is talked about as humility is really not Humility, it's false humility. Because I don't believe that a vow of poverty and a vow of, of, uh, of just always being down and out is a sign of, of, of the absence of pride. I don't believe that that's a sign of humility. I believe that we can have uh, our identity we can be secure in our identity because that is something that is accepted, that we accept from God. And that's why it's so important in this world that is always searching and, and people say, I identify as this and I identify as that. Well, you don't have the choice of whom you will identify with or what you will identify with. Your identity comes from your Creator. Your identity comes from God. People say, well, I was born a male and I identify as a female. Or I was born as a female and I identify as a male. Hogwash. You were, you were created by God. Your identity comes from God. And so our identity as a child of God comes from us being born again and accepting, amen, the work of salvation in our lives and realizing that I've, I've been I've been born again. I'm a child of God. I've been born into the kingdom of God. And that's where I get my identity. Does anybody know what I'm saying? So we can have confidence in that, that I am a child of God. I'm a child of the king. And I, I'm, a, uh, I'm in a part of a royal priesthood. I am a peculiar people. Come on, we're not down and outers. We're children of God. It's not prideful to have confidence in who you are as a child of God and what God is able to do in your life. Because I'm a child of God, I believe He hears me when I pray. Because I'm a child of God, I believe I can stand on the promises of His Word. Because I'm a child of God, I believe there are certain things that if I live according to this Word, I can be blessed with and favored with because I'm a child of God. I've received that identity. But pride is of the enemy. That, that's, what, that's what Satan was, that's why he was expelled from heaven is because of pride. He lifted up himself and he thought, 
I will be like the Most High. I will, I will require worship unto myself. And if you read there in Ezekiel 28, you'll find there was a whole lot of eyes. And he had a problem with pride. And that's why he was expelled from heaven. But pride, the enemy can cause each one of us to think that we can exist without God. That we can live and be successful and we can even take it upon ourselves to navigate through this life and have a successful outcome. It's impossible to do that. Amen. The only way that our soul is going to be satisfied, the only way we're going to be saved is to rely and learn how to trust in Jesus Christ and have faith in Him. We can't have faith in this flesh. That's why the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God. You've got to have faith in God. That's where it all starts. And when you have faith in God, that means that your reliance is not in the flesh. It's not in yourself. Praise God. It is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. In other words, it's not into carnal behavior. It's conscientious. Paul told us in this world we need to walk circumspectly or carefully. Amen? And so it doesn't behave unseemly. It, it doesn't leave any question in its behavior. People look and say, oh, you're, you're supposed to be a Christian? That should never be said of any one of us that are filled with the Holy Ghost. But there is, there's checks and balances for the individual that has the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost deals with them and prompts them when they begin to feel the tendency of going astray in their behavior, the Holy Ghost pulls the reins and we ought to be able to recognize that as the Holy Ghost. And say, you know what, that's not good for me. It's seeking not our own. It doesn't prefer itself. It's not easily provoked. You know, this world, it seems like everybody nowadays, especially with everything that we've been going through over the last several months, it seems like people are on edge. They're just looking for somebody's head to bite off. They're always, they got, walk around with a chip on their shoulder, just, just threatening for you to, to knock it off. Always angling for an argument. Always angling so that they can express their anger. And uh, that is not, that's not the love of God working in us. For the Bible says, that we're not easily provoked. If you're easily provoked, you need to pray about that. Come on, and we've all been there. Don't, don't sit there and act like you're John the Baptist and you, you never sinned in your life and, and you was born with the Holy Ghost. That's not the case. All of us have been along the way easily provoked. This is something we have to pray because that's the flesh rising up. And the more the flesh squeezes out the Spirit of God, carnality squeezes out the Spirit of God, the more we realize I've got to get back to the altar and I've got to die out to this flesh and get the right attitude and the right spirit about things. Thinketh no evil. I'm just expressing a few things here. Thinketh no evil. You know, sometimes we get a little clue of something and we always think the worst about something. Somebody walks by and maybe they didn't respond like, you wanted them to when you greeted them or maybe they didn't even hear you and you think the worst you think well what did I do to them and before you know it you've made a mountain out of a mohill and you're, you've gotten offended at the person I know that happens to nobody here but nevertheless what I'm trying to say is don't think the worst. Get in the habit of thinking the best until proven differently. Get in the habit of thinking the best about people of God. Thinking the best about the church. Thinking the best about people that you're associated with. Rejoice not in iniquity. We don't need to celebrate people's failures. We don't need to celebrate people's mistakes. We don't need to celebrate people that have come short in some area of their life. We're not going to rejoice in that. 
We're not rejoicing in iniquity. We're not rejoicing in someone's faith. We're not rejoicing in someone's sin. We're not getting our entertainment from that. We're not, we're not thrilled when somebody fails. That shows a lot about a person if they're thrilled when somebody else fails. They need to go back to where it says, envieth not. We should not have envy in our heart against another brother or a sister or anybody for that matter. If God blesses them with something, you ought to celebrate with them. The Bible said rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Sometimes it's easy to weep with those that weep and be brokenhearted with those that's went through something and identify with their pain. But it's not always easy when your brother gets promoted to celebrate with him. When your brother uh, receives something from the Lord that improves him and his life, you need to celebrate with him. Be thankful with him. Amen. Say, you know, I'm so glad because the same God that blessed him and gave to him can bless you and give to you. And it may be a test of what kind of attitude that you have. And so I wonder how many blessings we forfeited because we got jealous of somebody else's blessing. Rejoiceth rather in the truth. Amen. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the word of God that is truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. In other words, lives positively. And then endureth all things. Love, in other words, leads us closer to God. But he said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words... My eloquence is not going to replace my love. It's not going to replace God's love in my heart. It doesn't matter how eloquent I am. It's not going to replace my love for souls. Amen? He goes on and saying, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. In other words... Uh, spiritual gifts and being used in spiritual gifts is not going to make up or replace the love of God being able to flow through my life. And then I can have knowledge and understanding and I can be educated in knowing and I know that this is talking about spiritual gifts when it's talking about knowing mysteries and knowing things. It's talking about the gift of knowledge here but let's let's take it into the the physical realm, and talk about we, we, can, we can be trained and understand certain things and have certain knowledge, but that will never replace the love of God being able to flow through our lives. If we're not careful, we'll allow that to puff us up, and it will hinder the love of God flowing through our hearts. And then he goes on and says, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. You can have faith that is powerful enough to, to remove mountains, he said. Remove obstacles out of your way. Physical obstacles out of your way. But that's not going to replace the love of God flowing through your life. He goes on to say, and though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, you can give. Give good offerings and still not have the love of God flowing through your life. And it's certainly not saying anything against these things. We know that faith is necessary. We know that the Holy Ghost working and flowing through the gifts of the Spirit is necessary. We also know that, that uh, giving is necessary. But he said, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth. Persecution is not going to take the place of the love of God being able to flow through our lives. Amen? Amen. We have to have a genuine love for souls. God so loved the world. Amen. And John goes on to say, not to have a love for this world, and if we have a love for the sin that is in this world and the things of this world, 
then we're not of God. And the love of the Father is not in us. It's impossible for us to have a love and a lust for the things of this world and have the love of God flowing through us. Because sin and the love of God cannot coexist together. We have to be willing to turn away from the sins of this world. But in turn, we have to be willing to let the love of God flow through us to reach souls and bring them into the kingdom of God. And let me just stop and say that the the love of God, and I believe that a part of it, just like this scripture said, is kindness and is friendliness. But, but that's, that's probably love in its most shallow aspect because, let's just face it, a car salesman can be friendly, but that doesn't mean that he loves you. Can I get a hearty amen? And I know that our good brother Brandon loves all the saints of God here at Landmark and wants you to spend as much money down there at the Toyota places as you possibly can. What I am saying is that the salesman at the appliance store can show friendliness to you, but that does not mean that they have the love of God. What I'm talking about, it requires us opening up ourselves and letting God, taking on the nature of God, and allowing the Holy Ghost to work through us, and following Christ's example, the Lord's example on this earth, and loving souls like he loved souls. So I want to give you very quickly some some things here. The love for souls that Jesus had, we can can find it through uh, the Scripture. He gave us a great example. Uh, The Bible says in Romans chapter number 5 and verse 8, But God commendeth his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to listen to that scripture again. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have to have a love for souls, a love for people before they are like us. Can you say amen to that? They're probably not going to dress just like you, but you have to have a love for their soul. When they're coming this direction. When they're coming this way. They're probably not going to have the same attitude that you have. But you've got to have a love for their soul. And before. And I'm going to tell you what it is to love a soul. It's a great gamble. Just like it was for Jesus Christ. Amen. He loved you. And he had no. It was in your court. It was your choice. Whether or not you were going to serve him. Whether or not you were going to give your life to him. Whether or not you were going to come to an altar and repent. Whether or not you were going to be baptized in Jesus name. Whether or not you would yield and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Those things were up to you but he still loved you enough to go to Calvary for you he still loved you enough to be willing to sacrifice everything so that you would have the opportunity to live for him and to be saved so there's going to be instances where you're going to work with people and you're going to love people and you're going to teach people and you're going to deal with people and you're going to pray with people and you're going to endeavor to mentor people and you're going to, you're going to spend time with people and you're going to be there for people. And, and at times they may walk away and not serve the Lord. They may turn their back and may not decide that this is for them. And may not want to make the commitment to serve God and live for God. But that's the chance that you have to take. You can't close yourself. You can't, as the Bible said, close up your bowels of of compassion and say, you know what, I'm not going to take that risk. That hurt too much. No, you got to get up and dust yourself off and say, you know what, I don't deserve to be here, but because he loved me enough to go to Calvary, I've got an obligation to do everything I can to reach somebody else and to let the love of God reach through me to someone else's soul. I want to be at least as patient with others as he has been to me. I want to be as at least forgiving to others as he has been forgiving to me. I want to be at least as kind to others as he has been compassionate to me. I want to show as much long-suffering with others as he has shown long-suffering to me. Amen. That's right. 
So love them before they're converted. Love them before you see any change. You don't know what's going on in the inside of the heart of a person. You don't know. God has to deal with a person. And, and the preaching of the word of the Lord has to bring them along. And they're going to come to crossroads as the preaching of the word of the Lord goes forth. And they're going to have to make decisions. And they're going to come to those places where they've got a, a fork in the road. And which way am I going to go here? And God brings them to those places. Because again, the, the Bible said the Spirit will guide them, lead them and guide them into all truth. You cannot expect everybody to come along at the same pace. You cannot even expect everybody to come along at the same pace that you did. Because everybody may have a little different thing that they're coming out of. Amen. Everybody, you know, you can't understand some folks until you walked in their moccasins a mile. And you've got to have empathy for that situation. And don't think for a second that I'm compromising a bit because I've already preached to you here tonight that we're not to love the world. And, and the love of God does not lead in that direction. And you, you've got to receive. And everybody that comes into this is going to have their opportunity to receive a love for the truth. You've got to at some point receive a love. You cannot just accept it. You've got to love the truth. Because if you don't love the truth, you'll believe a lie, the Bible said. You'll go into delusion, the Bible says. And you, you'll believe that lie of deception and be lost, be damned, the Bible said. So it's important that you receive and maintain a love for the truth. The truth of God's word is what we're all going to be judged by in the end. And so we have to adhere to the truth, obey the truth, and we have to receive a love for the truth. You just being able to say, I, I see that like you see that, and I agree with you, that's, that's probably right. I agree with you that that I can't argue with that. I can't debate with that. And saying that that's that's it. That's not enough, my friend. You've got to get a hold of this and pray that God would open up your heart so that you will not just accept it, but you will love it. Because if you don't love it, you'll walk away from it at some point. Amen. I said, if you don't love it, you'll walk away from it at some point. And I have pastored long enough to see folks come in and if they don't really fully embrace this and learn to love this at some point or another uh, they walk away amen but you know what if somebody walks away they need to walk away with us reaching for them and praying for them and trying our dead level best to try to pull them back and again, we're not going to rejoice in iniquity. We're not going to rejoice and, and wag our heads and say, well, I knew from the beginning they didn't have it. I knew they really didn't love God. when they, I, I, had a, I had a feeling this was going to happen. Oh, get off all of that and realize, uh, amen, that it wasn't for the mercy of God, you'd be right out there yourself. If it wasn't for the goodness of the Lord, you wouldn't have what you've got. But you're here because of His grace and mercy. There's none of us that's in this building that is saving ourselves uh, but we're here because the Lord was gracious to us and gave us an opportunity. And because of the work of Calvary, we're able, we're able to be what we are today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Clap your hands to the Lord. So through the example of Jesus Christ, we have to be able to love souls. Not seeing them as they are right now. But being willing to look beyond that and see what they can be and be willing to chance it, be willing to put ourselves out as it were and say, you know what, I'm going to love you. You may walk away, you may not love me, but I'm going to love you because I understand I've got to let the love of God flow through me. Matthew chapter number 9, number 2 here. Matthew chapter number 9 and verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. I want to ask you, when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them. 
I want to ask you a very straightforward question. How do you see sinners? Do you just look on the outward appearance? Do you just see them for what they are right now and say, man, I don't want anything to do with that? Do you just smell the alcohol on their breath or the cigarette smoke or the you just you just see the the situation as it is at the moment, at the present, and say, I don't want anything to do with that? Do you just see uh, their outward attitude and demeanor and say, I, I want to be separated from that? Of course we want to be separated from sin. But in some way or another, we've got to be able to connect with the sinner's soul and lead them to salvation. Do you view people that are not saved? Sinners, do you view them with scorn? Do you view yourself as a cut above them? Do you view yourself? I know this is, this is cutting deep here, but I, this is something that we need. Come on, folks. We, we got to admit we need this. We need this. We, we need to understand this. Do you view yourself as I'm just, you know, uh, I'm a cut above? Again, there's none of us. The most of us, when we come to God, we didn't have what we've got now. Everything that we possess is because of the blessings of God. Come on, don't put it on your talent. Don't think it was because that you're better than anybody else. It's because of the goodness of God and the blessings of the Lord. When you started paying your tithe, when you started giving your offering, when you started being faithful to God, when you started making commitments to the Lord, your life went up. You were elevated. You were blessed. Your life didn't remain the same. We call it the redemptive lift that happens in people's life. When you come to God, when you're saved, things start looking up from that moment. Hope comes to your life. Things that you didn't have before as far as peace and joy. All of those things have been added to you since you started serving God. Amen. Remember how your life, you didn't have peace like this. Lay your head down on the pillow at night and had more worries and fears than you had peace. During the day, you didn't know what joy was. All you knew was pressures and stresses of life. But now you've got joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Don't look at somebody and scorn them because, and I'll just tell you this, don't look at a new convert and scorn them because they hadn't got there just yet. Amen. There has to be room. There has to be room for God to deal with people. And God doesn't need... Doesn't necessarily need your help in that. Trying to look for the most, you know, diplomatic way to say that. But he didn't need you coming along and doing his work for him. You got to leave that up to the man of God and people that he's appointed, and then the Spirit of God to deal with them. Because again, if people are not moved and motivated by the Spirit of God and convicted by God to do certain things they'll have the tendency to go back. If they're just doing things because of social pressure, they'll have a tendency to pick it up again. They'll have a tendency to go back to it again. But if they can ever get a love for it, if they can understand through teaching and preaching of the Word of God, and if God convicts them, and once He convicts them and deals with them and leads them into it, they'll say, you know what? It won't be a difficult, arduous thing then because there's none of us that once we get a revelation of something and an understanding of something ever saw giving that thing up as a difficult thing. We always saw, man, I'm entering into a greater place of blessing. I'm, I'm, I'm entering into a greater relationship with God. Because of this, I get to draw closer to God. Because I gave this up, because I was obedient in this area, I, I get to know Him in a greater way. I get to understand Him at a greater depth. And we wonder why we didn't do it sooner. But God will deal with people. God will bring people. And as I've said before, when he brings them that crossroad, there may be those that turn and go in opposite direction. That's their choice. We can't force anybody to live for him. But one thing we can do is we can keep giving the best effort to bring the best opportunity to people and, and, and keep praying and believing and worshiping and having church in such a way and being sensitive to God in such a way that God can deal with that person and bring them to Him. I'm making any sense tonight.
Jesus saw the potential of individuals. If all you can see is the present state, that's not much faith. But you've got to start seeing people as what God would want them to be. See them in the church with their hands uplifted, worshiping God, no matter how far gone in sin they are. You need to start looking at your relatives like that. You need to start, you need to start thinking of your neighbors and people that you're in contact, co-workers. You need to start seeing them in your mind's eye as in this church, worshiping the Lord, serving God, being used of God. Amen. You need to start seeing new converts that come in. You need to start seeing them being blessed, maybe even seeing them being used up here singing in the choir or singing on the, uh, the, the worship service, the, uh, the praise team, and playing an instrument or, or leading the congregation in some way. See them as potential Sunday school teacher or usher in this church. Or You never know. You never know. You know, you got to watch how you treat people because that may be the very one that helps you and blesses you. And is, you know, I've often gave uh, messages and, and, and sermons while, while preaching uh, baby dedications. And I've told people, you better be careful how you treat this child because this may be the future pastor of this church. It may be the person that gets up here and, and preaches to you on a regular basis. It may be someone that prays the prayer of faith that you're healed by. It may be the one that is able to touch God for you when you don't have the strength to touch God for yourself. Amen? That's so vital for us to realize that. Don't just look at things as they are right now. We live so much for the present. We live so much for the right now that sometimes we lose sight of the future. And if God tarries, these kids are going to grow up. If God tarries, they're going to become something in this church. That's our prayer. And God could use them to be of great help to you. They may be the ones that reach out to your great-grandchildren and minister to them. They may be the ones that are there to help along people in your family long after you're gone. So we have to make investment in them. How do you sin? He was moved with compassion. And then in Mark chapter 10 and verse 21, then Jesus beholding him, talking about the rich young ruler, he beheld him. This, this man came to him, knelt down before him and said, good master, what must I do to be saved? He said, if you follow the commandments, he, he gave him all of that. He said, yeah, I've done all that since my youth. He said, then the scripture says, then Jesus beholding him said unto him, one thing thou lackest, do, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, and take up, thy, take up the cross, and follow me. Those words, beholding him, loved him. Then Jesus beholding him. When he looked at him, it was love. And that love motivated him to teach him and tell him the truth. Let me just tell you something. If a preacher loves you, he'll tell you the truth. If he sincerely loves you, he will preach to you the truth. Let me just tell you something. When winning souls, we're, when we're endeavoring to win souls, we're doing no good when we talk to people that are in false doctrine and we talk to people that are out there and they don't know this truth and they say, well, I love God and I, I live for God. And I'm not saying we ought to come with a bombastic attitude and we ought to just blow them out of the water. But we're not doing any good when we pat them on the shoulder and say, you know, well, thank the Lord that you, you know the Lord and, and thank the Lord that you, you got what you're leaving them thinking that everything's all right. But you ought to be looking and praying for an opportunity to share. I'm not here uh, to destroy anything that you have, but let me show you the way more perfectly. Let me give you a little bit more to go with that. Let me reveal to you something that the Lord has revealed to me from the Word of God. Let me open up the door and let me give you the message of truth as it was brought to me. I used to believe what you believe and that was all 
But I found that there's more to it than that. I found that there's a little bit more in the Scripture that if we'll be obedient to it, there's abundant blessings that'll come. That there is salvation for our soul. Amen. That there's completeness that arrives in a person's life when we're obedient to the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you, it takes wisdom to do that. Again, you can't come and just blow somebody out of the water with a bazooka. You know, that's the way some people use the Bible. They use it as a bazooka or a hammer. I'm going to beat this truth into you. You're not going to beat nothing into anybody. Amen. You've got to use this word of God with stealth. You've got to use this word of God wisely. He that winneth souls is wise. You've got to know, you know, you can't give somebody a lot of times the whole entire, you know, I, I love to eat fried catfish, but I have my limits. And usually when I go into one of those places, it says, you know, you get four pieces or all you can eat. I usually get all you can eat and eat four pieces. Are you like me? I think, man, I'm hungry tonight. I'm going to get some of that stuff. And, and, and But how many comes on this plate here? And, uh, well, it's, you know, we got four of them, four fillets. I said, okay. Uh, you know, just give me that all you can eat. It's only two or three. Now, I found out how they make money on that deal. I think I'm going to eat them out of house and home when I get there. And I found out they made money on me before I leave. Because it doesn't matter how much you like something, there's only so much of it you can take at a time. And, you know, we can get... I've got grandkids, and they. I, I bought a pool thinking with that pool that I had a big chalet in. I said, i got to get one that's got plenty of chalet in. I, I'm telling you, the first summer, they were jumping off the deep end diving board without life jackets, swimming like fish. And I said, man, I just, I could have got a much smaller pool because I thought it would be a couple years before we, we was able to even use this, this end of the pool with those children. But you know what? They didn't just jump off that diving board the first little bit. I noticed that they played around in the shallow. And even at the beginning of each swimming season, they'll start out, you know, kind of getting comfortable with it. And then pretty soon you'll recognize the more comfortable they get and the more they enjoy it, the more they get in, see how much fun it is. They're out there cutting flips and they're out there doing deep dives. And, and uh, you know, I had one of my grandsons out I had something on the bottom of the pool, and I didn't want to get caught up in the sweeper thing. And I said, hey, I said, uh, he was standing there and had a cool suit of clothes on. I said, uh, would you get that off the bottom for me? He said, no, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go right now. I don't want to swim right now. I said, I'll give you a dollar. He said, you give me a dollar. Before I knew it, I heard a splash. I don't think parents liked it too good. But anyway, I got the deal off the bottom of the pool. Because they love it. If you give them a chance, if you give them a chance to get in the shallow a little bit, it won't be long till they'll be in the deep end. But don't just go shoving them in the deep end. They may drown. Can you say praise the Lord? Amen. And I believe with all of my heart that God wants to help each one of us to be effective in soul winning. And we have to love souls enough to be willing to teach them the truth. Teach them the truth. It's the truth that will make you free. I said you shall know the truth, the Bible said, and the truth shall make you free. Truth doesn't bring bondage to nobody. Truth brings freedom to you. Truth brings freedom in spirit. That's why we worship like nobody else in denominalism worship. That's why the Pentecostals worship like we do. We still worship with exuberance. Why? Because the truth has made us free. That's why I cut my hands. That's why we leap for joy. That's why we run every once in a while. That's why we shout. It's because the truth has made us free. And then last of all, John chapter 4 and verse 4. He said to his disciples, get this. He said, and I must needs, or he said, he must needs go through Jerusalem, or through Samaria rather. Are you willing, let me just ask you this question. Are you willing to be inconvenienced for a soul? Because soul winning, you got to be willing to be inconvenienced. Are you willing to be inconvenienced for a soul? 
get this. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is enjoying the Samaritan revival. I mean, it's, it's going on. The Bible said the city was filled with joy. Miracles were happening. Devils are being cast out. People are being healed and delivered and set free. It's a powerful thing going on. And the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, led him away into a desert place called Gaza. And he joined himself to a chariot of a man of Ethiopia. Which leads me to my second question. And the question that God has asked me by times. Are we willing? And I've, I've, tried, to, I've tried to do this in my own life. And I encourage you to do it in your, your life. And it's not always going across the ocean to do it. But are you willing? Are you willing to be inconvenienced for people that don't look like you? They don't eat the same food you do. They don't like the same things perhaps in all of that that you do. The same colors and the same whatever. Don't like the same kind of cars you do. Amen. I know there's a big debate between Ford and Chevy. Dodge. All that. We kind of joke and joust one another. But you know what? I think people that drive Dodges can go to heaven. I think people that drive Chevys can go to heaven. And I think people that drive Fords can go to heaven. Because I've had every one of them, and I think I was going to heaven while I was driving. So preferences and these kind of things. I'm just saying that in a light way to say that we have to be willing to accept people, amen, from all walks of life and all different kinds of backgrounds. Can you say praise the Lord? Would you stand with me right now? There's a little family that was uh, their, her father, her and her husband were, uh, her husband was a pastor in South Louisiana, became a pastor in South Louisiana, but her father was a pastor, he's passed away now in South Mississippi, Brother Rocco. And uh, Brother Rocco had a son-in-law by the name of Miller, Brother Miller. And Brother Miller went and pastored a church, a little community there in South Louisiana, Franklinton, Louisiana. And there they, of course, as churches do, they get relationship with a hotel. And they work with that hotel to, you know, for the guests and people that come by, evangelists, missionaries, different ones that come by to preach. They'll have a place for them to stay. And Sister Miller would go into that hotel and it was owned by some folks from the Middle East that the lady was very rude to her every time she would go in. And, you know, something rose up in her look this is where I live you know I've lived here all my life where'd you come from that kind of attitude and she realized that was not of God and she said I'm going to do my best to win that lady and so I think she first baked uh, some cookies maybe and packaged them nice and went and gave them to the lady the next time she was in there to pay the bill. Softened her up a little bit, but not a lot. And then she went back with something else, you know, just a little appreciation gift. Each time she went back, ice melted a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Smiles turned into short conversations, and short conversations ended up turning into an invitation for a personal Bible study. And before it was over with, Sister Miller and her husband were able to teach that family a Bible study, and all of them were one. And they came to church there in that little church in Louisiana, were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. They begin to reach through that and they begin to tell their family back in Bangladesh, I believe it was, all the way across the world 
about their experience and what God had done for them in Pentecost. They were so excited. So they arranged, the Millers did, the, to go over and share the truth with those people. And they did that. And all of those people began to be baptized in Jesus' name. Guess who the missionary is in Bangladesh today? You guessed it, brother and sister Miller. They got a burden, and it started with just somebody. Somebody said, well, I sure don't want to bake no cookies now. That means I'm going to have to go move into Bangladesh. No, that's not what I'm saying. You missed the point. What I'm saying is, is you don't know the potential and what God can do if you'll show a little compassion. And if you'll open up your heart and say, you know what, God, I want you to use me to reach a soul. I want you to reach somebody through me, touch and impact and influence somebody's life through me. Use my words. Use my encouragement. Use my prayers. Use my cards of encouragement. Use my gifts of encouragement. Use whatever. But God, I want you to use me to win a soul for you. If your desire is to be used of God, you want a love for souls. Why don't we just pray that right now? Lift up our hands all across this building and say, God, give me a love. The love that you have, let it flow through me for souls. I may not even have the human capacity to do it myself, but if you'll give me a love for souls, I'll let you work through me.